A new phase in BC's vaccination program. This extra protection for our seniors and elders who have been so affected by this pandemic will make an important difference. The plan to roll out third doses and booster shots. Who gets it and when? A vaccination clinic the province kept quiet. We knew that as soon as we just let it up, it would be on social media and everyone would come. It's hush-hush mandate and how some people tried to jump the queue. And home sweet home for the Vancouver Canucks. Hope they score at least a goal so then I can like hear the horns. Fans ready to rock Rogers Arena for the team's first home game of the season. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The province unveiled the next level of protection against COVID today. Seniors in care and many clinically vulnerable people are already rolling up their sleeves for a third dose of COVID vaccine. But BC will soon be offering booster shots to everybody in the province, age 12 or older, who wants one. Aaron MacArthur reports. Morning. And you got in? It started with seniors in long-term care. But over the next few months, all British Columbians over 12 will be eligible for a COVID booster shot. By the new year, many people able to access the shots through their local pharmacy. We look forward to, by the middle of January, having about 85% of the pharmacies in this province, across the whole province, to be participating in our campaign. The timing of the third shots will depend on factors such as age and risk. From September through January 2022, the highest risk people will be eligible. Starting in mid-January and continuing through May 2022, the general population will be able to access their booster shot. The goal is to get people their third dose six to eight months after their second. Most of us have good, strong protection, and we don't need a booster dose right now. Um, but come uh, next spring, uh, it is something that we should consider for longer-term protection. The shots will be a combination of Pfizer and Moderna, both brands at this point in the pandemic considered largely interchangeable. The pace of vaccination will also be much less frantic than it was over the summer. People already registered through the Get Vaccinated website will be contacted when it's their turn. One of the biggest challenges may come from a huge chunk of the population who still need a first dose. Health Canada likely to approve children 5 to 11 for vaccination in mid-November. And questions are being raised about whether the system can handle what will be two separate streams of people needing shots at the same time. We'll be tracking it on a very, you know, pretty much a daily basis to make sure we're able to fill our clinics and that we're getting people in in the right order at the right interval. People will be considered fully vaccinated in BC after two doses and will be eligible to use the vaccine passport after their second shot. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Administering third doses for mix-and-match vaccine recipients was a practice other provinces adopted to help people travel. But in B.C., Dr. Bonnie Henry said that that was not going to happen. Well, tonight, Global News has learned exclusively that it has been happening, but never made public and only offered to a select few. Richard Zussman explains why the word-of-mouth program was created and who was benefiting from it. It's long been a provincial policy. No third doses for those with mixed dosing needing a boost to travel. But unknown to most British Columbians, this Vancouver Coastal Health Travel Clinic 
has been providing those shots. We knew that as soon as we just let it up, it would be on social media and everyone would come. But the minister and Dr. Henry were very, very clear. We, we are not going to provide a vaccine just for people to travel. Those who ended up at this clinic largely did so through word of mouth. There has been pressure on the province to provide third doses for travel. Slowly, more countries are allowing British Columbians to enter with the COVID combo, but there are still places that won't. The lead of the province's immunization team says the clinic was there for a very specific reason. We were very, very clear that we were not providing those doses except for people for compassionate reasons or people who had essential travel. But appointments have been booked by people who aren't traveling. The province unsure whether these people actually received their third dose. It does happen that some people will tell the receptionist they'll get booked, but when they come in, the doctor assesses what the criteria are and they may not get vaccinated if they don't meet the criteria. The vaccine is free, but the Coastal Health website notes an administration fee of $25. As for how many people received a third dose early this way, Ballum says it's very few, stressing the clinic does more than third doses. It's provided, um, you know, a quiet setting for people who are very nervous about uh, getting vaccinated or who had a bad reaction to a former vaccination or who are afraid of needles. The province noting very few people have received a COVID-19 third dose this way. But no doubt, there are those worried still about their mixed dosing, wishing they knew there was a way. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. There's some good and bad news when it comes to COVID-19 numbers in B.C. today. New cases are a little lower at 457, but hospitalizations are up substantially to 390. And that's partly because of a data correction involving those in the interior. 155 patients are in the ICU, and for some perspective, 133 of those people are unvaccinated. Active cases are just above 4,800, and sadly, we've had two more deaths. Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, today's deadline day for healthcare workers in this province mm. to be fully vaccinated or risk losing their jobs. The vast majority, of course, are, but we have a better idea now of who isn't and how it breaks down among workers. Yeah, a lot of different occupations, of course, in the healthcare system. People want to know how many doctors, how many nurses are unvaccinated and therefore being put on unpaid leave as of today. So the, these numbers are constantly changing. Here's the latest number, 4,090 people in healthcare unvaccinated, separated into two groups. There's the unvaccinated healthcare, uh, the worker group, which is basically nurses, care aides and such. That's the lion's share of cases. Uh, also maintenance and technical uh, workers, 3,570, a 3% unvaccination rate. The medical staff, which is basically doctors of all stripes. So we're talking doctors, GPs, uh, specialists, uh, pathologists and such, pediatrics and and orthopedics, that's 520. That's 4%. So a total of 4,090 that was a little uh, lower yesterday. It's higher now. This is a lot of paperwork changing, Chris. 3% unvaccination rate. So again, 97% unvaccinated unva uh, is a great number. But when you're applying it to a number of more than 125,000 people, 3% equals a lot of people unvaccinated. And when you see the group that includes doctors at a higher percentage than the mm. other group that includes people with no medical training, some who do, obviously, that seems yeah. like a lot of doctors. It is a lot of doctors, uh, but that number is expected to come down a little bit to, to get down to that 3% figure, which seems to be the uniform number in long-term care and the health care sector. Uh, health Minister Adrian Dix making that point today that when all the paperwork has been fed through, we're likely hit on a number that is common in all the professions.
We didn't see across the board much difference in terms of categories of workers, and that is true as well in acute care. So while there are um, administration staff and, and others who are, uh, who, are, um, uh, who are unvaccinated and will be affected by this across the healthcare system, uh, this 126,000 uh, workers, they're critical, all of them, to patient care for people. So one of the things Minister Dix addressed today is there are, is concern about what's going to happen in the Interior Health Authority. That's where uh, they have the, the largest number of unvaccinated workers on a, per, a population basis, per capita basis. It is the biggest problem in the Interior. Small towns are going to feel the impact of losing just a few doctors. It's true. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Keith Baldry right. and Victoria for us tonight. Of course, this is the day Vancouver Canucks fans have been waiting a long time for and a welcome sign for everyone else that things might be at least starting to get back to normal. Imadagahi is live at Rogers Arena where the Canucks are about to play their first home game in front of a crowd since the pandemic began. Lost track of the months. It's pretty close to a sellout tonight too, Imad. Yeah, 595 days. That is how long these Canucks fans have waited to watch a regular season game at full capacity here at Rogers Arena. You mentioned it. We can't call it an official sellout, but it will be very close to having every seat full here at the arena. And you can already tell uh, behind me, people are very excited for what the atmosphere will be like inside at 7 o'clock. Go Canucks, go! (laughs) They're dressed in the right colors for a hockey game blue and green, but for many, this night is more about what will happen in the seats rather than on the ice. For me, it's more than just the game, it's like my entire life. It was March 10th, 2020, 595 days ago. These were some of the last scenes of pre-pandemic sports normality in Vancouver. What a night for Demko. A year and a half later, we're finally back. It's been a long time. Every time I go to Rogers Arena and watch a game, I get that I don't know, it's that, it's that feeling that I can't describe, it's just, it's just there, right? I, I, I love it. The fans know it, and the players do as well. With full capacity, the atmosphere will be special. To come back and get to do it in front of our home fans again, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting for us players. I'm sure it'll be a loud barn tonight, and um, you know, just looking forward to getting out there. But not everything will be back to normal. There are still plenty of reminders of exactly the type of protocols that made the event possible. We are going to be 100% fully vaccinated in the building, every single person in this building tonight. Go Canucks Go sounds fantastic through a mask. I've tried it. So I think everyone should get used to doing that and should practice before they go to the game. Dr. Brian Conway says in no way is tonight a victory in the pandemic better described as likely just another step forward. We have not seen any high-level outbreaks that have been linked to the reopening of NHL arenas or any other large-scale events, so that's reassuring. But these are still early days. We'll learn things and we'll adjust as we go, but uh, we've also done, the team's done an incredible job of preparing the building uh, for safety protocols and and making sure that the, the building's ready for the fans. Now the doors opened not too long ago and we have been watching and they have been doing a great job of getting everybody in quickly and smoothly with that added step of checking their uh, vaccine card. And yes, we're told among the thousands inside will be Dr. Bonnie Henry tonight. Uh, Of course. Well, she was at the Lions' first home game with the crowd, so no surprise she's going to be there too. All right, thanks very much, Ahmad, and good luck to the Canucks tonight. More coverage coming up a little later with Squire in sports. 
New Zealand is taking a bold step to address its housing crisis, and a lot of people believe B.C. should do the same thing. Why the era of the single-family dwelling might be coming to an end, next on the News Hour. Heroes who really used their heads to save two strangers, recognized for their creative quick thinking. That's coming up on the News Hour. And drawing a straight line from the past to the future, the smart robot in a field of its own. Coming up later. Right now, though, several B.C. housing advocates are keeping a very close eye on New Zealand as that country puts an end to single-family zoning in five major cities next summer. The change allows property owners to build three housing units on one single lot without the need for municipal approval. Ted Chernecki shows how local housing experts are reacting. At 33rd and Larch, a half dozen smaller homes are adding to the one large character home here, but this is the exception rather than the rule. Currently on each single-family zoned lot in Vancouver, and that's most of the city, owners are allowed a basement suite and a lane house. Most municipalities won't allow any densification. Same in New Zealand, and the government there just said, that's enough of that. They're saying, we're going to take away your power now to restrict housing. And in part, this is a sort of uh, recognition at the national level. It's not just a concern for municipalities, despite the fact that right now they're the ones with all the levers in terms of being able to reject housing. The days may be numbered for all that power wielded at city halls throughout B.C. that have been so successful in catering to the NIMBYs. Everybody wants affordable housing, but they don't want it in their backyard. That leads uh, local governments with lots of incentive to be slow Uh, about change uh, and uh, underinvest in allowing greater density. So yeah, I think going around the municipalities makes a lot of sense. Five major cities in New Zealand will soon be able to build up to three three three-story buildings on each slot and do it without municipal approval. What I like about the New Zealand proposal and other similar proposals is that you might then build three smaller homes on the one lot. And yes, on a price per square foot basis, they may even be slightly higher. But in aggregate, you're creating now a house for a much lower lower price. The prices for these six new homes in Kitsilano haven't been disclosed, but they'll hardly be affordable. Now, people listening to us will say 1.2, 1.6. This isn't uh, cheap. This isn't affordable. But it's more affordable than the $4 million house that would otherwise have gone on those lots. Home prices in Auckland are among the highest in the world, higher than even in Melbourne or Sydney. The Kiwis believe the greatest opportunity to expand supply is on that largely empty single-family lot. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Up next, some scary criminals. Crime Stoppers comes up with a clever way to keep a lookout for its most wanted as we approach Halloween. And new developments after this video came to light, months after the shove caught on camera, why it's still being investigated. Traffic is steady over here at the Patello Bridge with the biggest delay on the Columbia on-ramp to head south out of New Westminster. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. A complaint about a Vancouver police officer is now a criminal investigation. The officer was attending a call about an intoxicated person when a man tried to intervene. What happened next was captured on camera. It took months for the video to come to light. Catherine Urquhart first broke the story and has the new developments.
In August, this video was posted on social media by Tyler Nielsen, a downtown Eastside volunteer peer worker. It shows a Vancouver police officer shoving a man to the ground. Oh, I caught that on video, man. It was quite shocking, the sound of it, uh, his head hitting the pavement. When the video came to light, it prompted a review of the incident, which the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner originally deemed to be unsubstantiated. Now Global News has learned that a criminal investigation is underway into the actions of the Vancouver police officer, who remains on active duty. Confirmation of the criminal probe came from the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. To not know where this officer is, to not know that they may, like whether or not they're still in a community patrolling it, whether or not they still have contact with vulnerable members of our communities is very concerning. The OPCC also revealed that the Director of Police Services has initiated a Section 44 special investigation under the Police Act. And the RCMP has been directed to complete this investigation. I think that the conduct of those officers also needs to be investigated. They were there. Um, at the time, they didn't report on this video that they knew had been made because they interacted with the person making the video. Vancouver police say that for now, they won't be commenting as the criminal investigation into one of their own is ongoing. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Crime Stoppers is using a Halloween theme hoping to catch five of B.C.'s most wanted criminals. They're being dubbed by the organization, though, as the least wanted trick-or-treaters showing up at your door. 42-year-old Connor DeMonte is wanted for murder. 60-year-old John Norman McKenzie is unlawfully at large. And 30-year-old Kong Din is wanted for money laundering. There are rewards being offered for the arrest of these fugitives, who are also part of the national Be On The Lookout program. Halloween is scary enough without having to worry about individuals like this haunting your neighborhoods. If you see any of these individuals, please call Crime Stoppers. You'll remain anonymous. Just dial 1-800-222-TIPS. 22-year-old Nassim Mohammed is wanted on a number of charges, including driving while prohibited. And 40-year-old Bradley Britton is being sought for failing to comply with his probation order. Still ahead, dads opening up about their silent struggle. I wasn't myself, is essentially what it came down to. Acknowledging postpartum depression can happen to both parents, and what to do if it happens to you. Also, the cabinet shuffle and the notable names Justin Trudeau has reassigned. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. Still a little bit busy over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight after clearing some much earlier problems in both directions. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has made some major adjustments to his cabinet. Coming through on his promise to respect gender parity, Trudeau has added or shuffled 29 MPs in his new 38-member cabinet. Global's Raquel Fletcher has more. I, Indira Anita Anand, do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear 
In one of the most highly anticipated changes, Anita Anand takes over from Harjit Sajjan as National Defense Minister. The lawyer and former professor inherits the military sexual misconduct file. The women and men who serve in the armed forces deserve better support. And one of the things that people will be learning about Anita Anand uh, in the coming months is that she is a world-class expert in governance. There are major portfolio swaps and promotions for Quebec ministers. Jean-Yves Duclos takes over from Patty Haidu in health. Melanie Jolie, formerly in charge of economic development and official languages, becomes a foreign affairs minister. And Stephen Gilbeau, a passionate environmentalist and activist, is the new environment and climate change minister. Appointments that are well received by Quebec's provincial government. We have 10 ministers now around the table. Uh, we have strong voices around the table, I'm sure about that. But Alberta's premier says Gilbeau's appointment is problematic and fears the new minister will allow the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs in the resource sector. His own personal background and track record on these issues uh, suggests somebody who is uh, uh, more of an absolutist uh, than a pragmatist. After major criticism about the government's track record on First Nations, Mark Miller becomes the new Crown Indigenous Relations Minister and Patty Haidu is Indigenous Services Minister. Miller replaces Carolyn Bennett, who gets a new portfolio as the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. The NDP opposition says this does not represent a renewed commitment to reconciliation. If Justin Trudeau had a problem with the approach taken by the previous ministers, then they probably wouldn't be in cabinet. But they're still in cabinet. There are nine new faces in this cabinet and three people have been dropped. Former Diversity Minister Bartosz Chegger, the Special Representative for the Prairies Jim Carr, and the now former Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Ottawa. One of the most important fundraising campaigns of the year kicked off in Victoria today. Thank you. Thank you so much. B.C. Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin receives the first official poppy of the year in Government House from the Royal Canadian Legion. Funds raised in the annual poppy campaign support veterans, their families and dependents, seniors, education and Remembrance Day programs. This is an opportunity for us all to remember what veterans in British Columbia and throughout Canada have done to preserve and protect our way of life. Um, and we need to honour and remember the many sacrifices that they have made for the privilege of serving all of us. It's uh, time to stop and reflect on, on what a great life we have, what a beautiful country we live in, and, and realise that uh, what the price was paid for the freedoms that we have. And, uh, I think we're the envy of most of the world, and, but it, it came at a steep cost. There's over 117,000 men and women have, uh, have lost, their, lost their lives in defense of, of democracy, of our ideals, what we believe in. The Rogers family feud that's captured the nation's attention is a major alarm bell, according to business analysts. A warning that the company's corporate governance structure is flawed, and many say a textbook example of why new federal scrutiny is required. Global's Anne Gaviola reports. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. It's been called Canada's succession, but this is a real-life family feud affecting Rogers' share price. Monday, Rogers' common shares saw their biggest one-day sell-off since the pandemic market crash in March 2020. 
The family drama shines a bright light on what can happen in a company with a dual-class share structure. Set up so members of the Rogers family, who own about a third of the shares, control 97% of the voting power. At the center of the battle is Edward Rogers, son of the company's founder, the late Ted Rogers. He was ousted from the executive board last week after current CEO Joe Natale discovered a plan to unseat him, reportedly via a pocket dial, which seems fitting for the head of Canada's largest wireless player. Edward retaliated by setting up his own board. We have two boards of directors, and you can't have that in a company. You can only have one. Ted's mother and two sisters are among those who voted him out as chairman. In a tweet storm this weekend, sister Martha Rogers tweeted, I'll gladly blow up my life to stop this. Edward says he's taking his fight for power to BC's Supreme Court, but observers say the reputational damage is done. Analysts say it could jeopardize the Rogers takeover of rival Shaw, which requires regulatory approval. This has consequences for shareholders. Rogers is widely held by pension funds and in mutual funds. You can have family conflicts, family disputes that trump, let's call it um, unbiased, impartial strategic decision-making. There's a growing chorus calling for Ottawa to look into whether dual-class share structures should continue to be allowed in Canada. Other notable publicly traded companies with this structure include Bombardier and Shaw. And Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, postpartum depression and anxiety is often associated with new moms, but dads are suffering too. Global's Kendra Slagoski spoke to one new father who's working to make the conversation mainstream. The birth of Sybil was the best thing that ever happened to Chris Rosebanks, but it also led to something new for him, postpartum depression. It was pretty heavy and, you know, I, I found myself being, I wasn't myself is essentially what it came down to. Anxious and irritable, Rosebanks was on edge, worried any little sound would wake up his baby. It was his wife, Lisette, who alerted him. Unfortunately, I missed her signs when she was first, you know, going through her postpartum. But she was like, we're not going to make the same mistake twice. The couple joined a postpartum support group. It helped. Lisette now posts about her postpartum journey on social media. They are both working to normalize the conversation, especially for fathers. It's a huge like uh, elephant in the room when it comes to men. It's estimated one in 10 dads suffer postpartum depression. It can show up. Um, sometimes it's anger or frustration or irritability. Dads are at a higher risk if their partner has had uh, postpartum depression and anxieties. Sheila Duffy with the Pacific Postpartum Support Society says isolation during the pandemic isn't helping moms or dads. We know because our, our calls to our support line have increased or our, the demand basically for support has um, increased quite dramatically. Many men don't even realize they have postpartum depression. A new father may spend more time at work, a place they feel competent. But she stresses they need to get help. The one thing about this is that it is treatable, highly treatable. And it's one of the first things Rose Banks tells soon-to-be dads. Make sure you look into postpartum. Like, it's no joke. Don't be afraid to ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you any less of a man. Kendra Slagoski, Global News. Still ahead, rescuers who kept their cool. And we saw those guys, they were struggling to come out. 
They used their turbans as a rope to save two stranded hikers. Today, how they were recognized for that sacrifice. And the roar of the crowd, how the Canucks feel about playing in front of a nearly full house after almost 600 days of silence at Rogers Arena. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The B.C. government is expanding the rebate program for installing electric vehicle charging stations. An additional $10 million has been earmarked for the Go Electric program, which provides a rebate of up to 50% off the cost of purchasing and installing chargers in condominiums, apartments and workplaces. Single-family homes, including duplexes and townhouses, can also get a rebate of up to 50% to install a charger up to a maximum of $350. Last year, we saw a strong uptake in EV charger rebates at single-family homes. To better support British Columbians living in condos and apartments, and there are very many of us, our new EV-ready option provides rebates for EV chargers, EV planning, and the costs of electrical upgrades to make more buildings EV-ready. This ensures more people can choose to go electric. Under the province's aggressive Zero Emission Vehicle Act, by 2035, all of the light-duty vehicles sold in B.C. are expected to be electric or other zero-emission technology. And a B.C. man on a coast-to-coast quest to demand governments take urgent action on climate change arrived at the Nova Scotia, uh, Nova Scotia legislature today on his electric motorcycle. Dan Tetzlaff calls himself the Renewable Man, the Squamish resident set off September 21st on his cross-country electric motorcycle trek. He stopped in provincial capitals along the way, demanding governments take immediate action to address climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. Now I bring a letter to the Parliament demanding action on climate change, um, truth on climate change, um, end of subsidization for fossil fuels, in action. Tetzlaff arrived at the Nova Scotia legislature a day before that government intends to introduce new legislation laying out the province's environmental goals and climate change reduction act. Anything we can do to uh, limit the recurrence of bomb cyclones. We've had a couple of those in the last (laughs) week or so. Uh, Let's see what else is coming in the weather as we approach Halloween, Christy. Well, Chris, we've got a warning for travelers on the mountain passes, which I'll show you in a second. But uh, if you were watching the early show, the five o'clock show earlier today, it was beautiful and uh, sunny in behind me. Well, the rain is coming down now in Vancouver or in North Vancouver, and we're going to continue to see these waves. But what that means is rainbows. Yes, lots of people sending me photos. Here's a look at the photo from the Rosedale area, which is just near Chilliwack. Sheila sending this gorgeous double rainbow there. Thank you, Sheila. And this one from Leanne. Of Betts in the Duny area. Thank you for that one. Love it. It's sun shining. And this is from Ron Krauss uh, in Vancouver. This is looking out from Kitsilano towards downtown. So thank you to everyone who shared photos. So on the satellite, you can see these waves of rain. Uh, there is a chance we could see a little bit of instability, especially across Vancouver Island. So keep your ear out for a little bit of lightning here and there. But those waves of rain will push on shore and mean snowfall for the mountain passes. And we're talking about a wet, slushy snow, freezing level dropping to about 1100 
200 meters for the Coquihalla. That's the one area we're worried about for tonight and tomorrow morning up to 20 centimeters. The other regions we're talking about up to about 10. Nonetheless, you need snow tires and be ready for snow. Tomorrow for Metro Vancouver and for the South Coast, we're talking about just showers. So on and off, I would keep your eye out for a rainbow, actually. But by tomorrow evening, the more consistent, heavier rain is set to push on shore. Special weather statement is in place. We're expecting 50 millimeters of rain uh, over the next um, sort of Wednesday night into our Thursday. In the meantime, your Wednesday not looking too bad with breaks of blue sky. Temperatures just slightly below seasonal for this time of year, but a few showers and a bit of sunshine in the mix. Thursday is certainly going to be wet as that next wave moves on shore. But Chris, this is the part that I love. It looks like we've got three days of sunshine. Keep in mind, still days away. We can refine that as we get closer, but that's some good news for all the trick-or-treaters out there. And tonight's Central Windows weather window, another one from Vancouver. This was from Greg looking out over Stanley Park. Over to you. That is beautiful. And yes, I know you and I both have boys eager to go out trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. And uh, better weather is always better, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christy. A group of five men have been rewarded for jumping into action to help save the lives of two strangers. The rescue happened earlier this month near the edge of a raging river in Golden Ears Park. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the men are being called heroes for not only using their heads, but also what was being worn on them. Clinging to the rock, feeling the freezing water rushing just meters below. These five men standing above are their only hope. That's Kuljinder, Arvindjit, Ajay, Gurpreet, and Gagandeep. Your quick thinking and your heroic actions undoubtedly saved the lives of the two young men out at Golden Years Park. It was Thanksgiving Monday. The friends were enjoying the day off, planning to head to the Lower Falls, when they were stopped by a woman asking if they could call 911. Her friends were stuck and needed help. But uh, we tried, we didn't have any network, so we went to the point. We stood there for 10-15 minutes thinking about how can we get them out. Putting their heads together, or more accurately, what was on them, they came up with a plan. Gagandeep gave us an idea like, why can't we use our turbans and jackets so we can pull that guy up? With one end tied to a tree, the friends started lowering the makeshift rope down the rock face toward the pair. We can see his face and he was so scared. With the string of turbans in one hand, the stranded hikers still slip with every step. But this is their only chance. There is no any other option. Finally making contact, fear gives way to relief. We were so happy and the guy down there, he was so happy as well. We would like to honour these five young men standing here today. Ridge Meadows RCMP now presenting the Friends with the Community Leader Award, recognising their bravery and heroic actions. It's an unexpected thing for us, yeah. But it's removing their turbans, an act of religious significance, that makes this rescue that much more incredible. It is unique in the sense that a turban is a Sikh um, religious symbol. So it was amazing. And in this case, there wasn't a second thought. In these matters, we really don't care if it's over religious or not. It's a one person's life, we can save it. The video of the rescue has since made headlines worldwide. But for these humble heroes, it's only their community that matters. <laughs> and in this moment, they've made them very proud. We just did it as a, a human being. We're so happy we saved a life with this. Kylie Stanton, Global News. That is absolutely fantastic. All right, thanks very much, gentlemen, for your bravery. And let's bring in Squire now. Look ahead to... 
the Canucks tonight. Who will be the hero for them at Rogers Arena? Well, providing they win, of course. Yeah. You don't want Minnesota to have the hero. But whatever the case, Travis Green has uh, put Elias Pedersen, who's often been the hero, with different line mates this morning in preparation for this game tonight. Uh, I'm not experimenting with, I'm not out there toying around with stuff. Elias Pedersen was out with Nils Hoaglander and Matthew Highmore and his, as his wingers, rather than the usual line mates of Besser and Miller. See how that works out. Also tonight, it's a groundskeeper's dream. The turf tank that never makes a mistake. Now working for the Whitecaps and UBC. Well, just like the Canucks, we are do- doing something we haven't done in a long time on the set together. That is true. Chairs are adjusted. Now I can see what socks you're wearing. Yeah. Baseball socks tonight. Well, it's Very World nice. Series, right? That is true. Atlanta's <laughs> leading 5 nothing. if you're wondering. Uh, okay, so before we talk about the Canucks home opener, uh, some late news regarding defenseman Travis Hamanick, whom, of course, we have not seen at all this season. He has now arrived in Vancouver Personal issues apparently solved, and he will report to the Abbotsford Canucks to get back in the game shape. When he can play for Abbotsford, well, that is not known at the moment. As for the team he normally plays for, the Canucks of Vancouver, they're, of course, taking on Minnesota tonight. It's uh, the start of a seven-game homestand after a road trip that actually wasn't that bad. There was a dark moment against the Buffalo Sabres, but they were still 3-2-1 in the six games. And it looks like even though they did come back above 500, Travis Green is going to do some line dancing with Elias Pedersen, trying to get him out of his funk. To find out more about that and more about tonight's game, let's go down to Jay, who will fill us in. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. I don't think we're going to hear the theme song from Welcome Back Cotter tonight, but after 595 long days, the Vancouver Canucks are finally playing in front of a full-capacity building on home ice. It's the Canucks and Wild here at Rogers Arena tonight. A lot of smiling faces at the rink today. I think I can speak for everybody in our room that we're all pretty excited about tonight. Um, to have fans back in the building, full building. Um, yeah. Like, again, this is why you play hockey. That's what it's all about, and I hope we can get them a win. The guys get paid a lot of money to, to play a game they love, and they're very lucky, and, and same as coaches and everyone that's involved in the NHL, and, and not having the fans with us for the last almost you know two se- a year, season and a half has been, it's been a, very different. And um, you know it'll be an exciting night tonight. It'll be nice to be back in the building with with our crowd and, and feel the energy, feel the noise and the passion and, and uh, so yeah. Judging by what transpired at this morning's game day skate, we're going to see a different lineup for the Canucks tonight. Elias Pettersson was centering Nils Hoaglander and Matthew Highmore, while JT Miller was in between Brock Besser and Vasily Podkolzin. That's how we're expecting them to face off tonight against the Wild. Remember, Podkolzin didn't play much on the road, but with Travis Green getting the last change tonight here on home ice, he can put Podkolzin in more favorable line matchup situations. I think he's done a lot of good things in our game. There's some things that he still needs to work on, which I'm not worried about at all. I, I think Pods is going to be a really good player in the league. And we're excited about him. And everyone, I mean, our fans, everyone should be excited about him. <laughs> 
couple other lineup changes to tell you about. Justin Bailey was on the ice this morning taking twirls on the fourth line. This after Justin Dallin was placed on the injured reserve list after missing practice yesterday. For Bailey, it was a quick drive down the Trans-Canada Highway. Friday night, he scored the Abbotsford Canucks' first goal on home ice and then set up the overtime winner. Tonight's the first of seven straight on home ice for your Vancouver Canucks. Minnesota Wild, four wins in five games to start their season. Thatcher Demko starts tonight from Rogers Arena. And your rinkside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. I guess it must be Minnesota week. Canucks and Wild tonight. Tomorrow, the seventh place Whitecaps will host the sixth place Minnesota United. If the uh, Caps can win that game, they'll jump over Minnesota. And actually, if Vancouver wins and Portland and the Galaxy also lose tomorrow, the Whitecaps could go all the way to fourth place. Whatever the case, this has been an incredible rally by Vancouver to get back in the MLS playoff race. And while getting Ryan Gold and changing coaches certainly played a part in it, a meeting for players only may have been the biggest reason. On July 7th, the Whitecaps lost 4-0 against Real Salt Lake. It was their eighth straight game without a win, the lowest point of their season. And it forced an airing of grievances in a players only meeting that really did change everything. When you get into a, a losing streak like that, it's it's easy to kind of lose the plot. And I, I think that, you know, as a team, we weren't we weren't fighting for each other. We weren't as together as, personally, I knew that we could be. And it, it came down to, you know, just kind of talking it out. You know, guys, you know, guys had it out with each other. And it ended up being the best possible thing for us. Since that meeting, the Whitecaps record is nine wins, two losses, and eight draws which over that span of time is the second best record in Major League Soccer, something a lot of people around the league really haven't noticed. Since I've been here since Vancouver, I don't think we get the respect that we deserve. I don't think we have at all this season, especially in the run that we've been on. Um, I don't think the MLS gives us that respect. Uh, and I don't think, I think other teams are starting to, but I don't think as much as, you know, we deserve. And I think we're, we're a damn good team. And I think that we, if we make the playoffs, we can make a good run. So. What's that? So was he one of the, Jersey, one of the boys? Jersey boys? I don't know. <laughs> you mean the singers? There's a couple. No, a couple guys from Jersey, isn't okay. there? Okay. Uh, I thought you meant like the, uh, the play. No. Uh, after watching Geno Smith unable to win another close game for the Seahawks last night, Seattle fans sounded a lot like Tom Hanks and Castaway yelling for Wilson. Nobody expected Geno Smith to fill Russell Wilson's shoes. And for anyone who did... The reality is, without Russell Wilson, the Seahawks are not a playoff team. And Pete Carroll knows that is true better than anyone. Let's say it this way. If, I, I've been here a long time, and uh, if we didn't have Russell, I probably wouldn't have been here a long time. Because <laughs> think of all the magic that he's created in, in the years. He's got numbers and stats in fourth quarter, this is and that's and all that stuff. You know, one of the winningest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. You know, Russell's a factor. <laughs> He's a fantastic positive factor and always has been. And, you know, we miss him. And in the meantime, we're going to keep fighting and clawing and doing everything we can. If you know a miracle cure for a bad finger, send it to Pete Carroll. Call them. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, Robbie the Robot and his perfect painting technique, turning sports fields into masterpieces. Per day's work in just one hour, Robbie the Robot is a Danish invention that now has a promising career on campus at UBC, tending to the sports fields there. Krista Dow shows us Robbie's unique talents. 
He is a cherished member of the UBC Athletics and Recreation Department. Nice and quiet to work with. <laughs> Doesn't complain. <laughs> this is Robbie, the robot. A lines keeper some say is in a league of his own. It takes all the guesswork out. The lines are laser straight. The circles are perfect. Robbie can do what his human colleagues do, only faster and more consistent. The lines are in the same place every time. I can paint the field probably in about an hour and a half instead of four or five hours manually. Despite Robbie's ability and automation, he still requires constant supervision from his superior. I treat him like a staff member. He treats me like a staff member. Sometimes we don't get along so well, but uh, at the end of the day, we get the job done and uh, we both walk away happy. He is among the first of his kind in Canada, arriving here three years ago from a Danish company called Turf Tank. He cost about thirty to $40,000, purchased through a partnership between UBC and the Whitecaps soccer team. So the field is already laid out. Through GPS technology, Robbie can paint any outdoor field in any configuration. He runs off a of GPS, so there's a base station that uh, receives satellite Im uh, information. So between those two points, he knows exactly where he is. The precision something the Whitecaps coaching team relies on. So what we're looking for is a very technical side because our coaches want different colored lines, different specs every day or, or every week. He does his job. To date, Robbie is responsible for all the outdoor grass and turf fields, giving it 110% rain or shine. Krista Dow, Global News. Got to get one of those for Little Mountain Baseball, that's what I say. All right, last word on weather before you go, Christy. Sure. So the rain will come and go. I would keep your eye out for a rainbow tomorrow. It's that kind of weather. But by tomorrow night, we're right back into consistent rain. We'll see that on Thursday also. At least some sunshine, though, for uh, Halloween, hopefully. Glad to see that. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night.